why not use AI to help us come up with the right words, the right finesse, even down to our body language. I know a lot of hospitals get on doctors for discharging people standing up at the doorway. Why not sit down and deliver news a certain way? Why not ask AI to help me be more empathetic? Welcome to the Emergency Medicine Workforce Podcast, where we explore the business and profession of emergency medicine. I'm Leon Edelman, an emergency physician and co-founder of IV Clinicians. Today, I'm very excited to welcome Dr. Harvey Castro to the show. He's an ER doctor who is now at the forefront of AI in healthcare. Harvey literally wrote the book, ChatGPT and Healthcare. Harvey also developed an app that was in the top 10 in the world. Dr. Castro was motivated by trying to solve a problem many emergency physicians saw in their practice. I had just graduated residency. Uh, this thing called an iPhone had just came out and they were starting to do apps. And at the time I was coding a patient and I remember telling the nurse, hey, we're gonna start this DOPA, this is the drip, blah, blah, blah. And then the nurse was like, whoa, 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 one second. I need to verify everything. So she went and got a textbook and went through it. And I was looking at her, I'm like, oh my God, we're coding, like hurry up. In my mind, I'm like, let's go. And so then I thought, you know, obviously the, 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 cat, the cliche phrase, I, there's got to be a better way. And so uh, I looked on the app store and there was nothing. And I said, you know what, I'm going to teach myself how to program an app and I'm going to go ahead and just do it. That app became IV Meds, which became one of the most popular in the world. And it led to 30 more apps that Harvey developed. And since then, he's been on the cutting edge of technology advances in the medical field. Given that he's an ER doc, that success might not be so surprising for him. You know, it's so much fun. Being an ER doc, I, I feel like we're all the entrepreneurs. You know, I, I'm so biased. When I look at healthcare companies and I know it's run by a doctor, I always want to see what specialty. And I feel like 70% of the time, it's an ER doctor. So I'm, I love it. And even looking at your bio and I see you're doing stuff, I, I love entrepreneurship. It just gets me so excited. So when it came to apps, I felt like... We're in the we're in the trenches. We're in there. We we we're problem solvers, and so there's a problem in medicine, and we're gonna fix it. And so, to me, you know, IV meds was a problem, and in my mind, I fixed it. Um, at the time, there was a lot of like stroke scales and stuff like that. And there was no app. I'm like, you know what? I'm gonna make a stroke scale app. And so I started just seeing what kind of problem there was. And then I was doing well with my first app. And I'm like, all right, now I can pay for a developer to develop these apps and put them back on the app store. And it just became this vicious cycle that got me to about 30. And then at one point I was like, okay, this is a lot. I kind of wish I had kept going. Um, but then at one point I was like, all right, I'm done with this. I'm going to sell and go on to the next thing. But what's funny to me, I, I don't want to sound like that guy, like, oh, my God, I wish I had done that. But I have had like three, four apps that I was starting and one got rejected that from the uh, app store that now would not have been rejected because laws of, of the FDA and everything has changed. The other two, I kind of wish I had continued because they are now multi-million dollar companies that, oh, uh, it, you know, that I was like, man, I was doing this. I was like, and I just stopped and I was like, I shouldn't have because it was another ER doctor in Texas. Not, and that's a friend of mine that ended up doing it. I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know, it's just kind of funny. But again, I don't regret it. I just wish, in general, that I kept going. I think that's the the hard part about always being ahead of the curve. You don't you don't know you, know, you don't know exactly where things are going. You can never 
never see the future. Yeah. Cool. So one thing that you do that's very smart is keep a lot of uh, kind of optionality in your in your career. You have you have a lot of balls in the air at the at the same time. I, uh, it almost seems like you're a Renaissance man, a Renaissance physician. Tell us a little bit about the stuff that you're doing right now in addition to AI, because we're going to go into AI in a lot of detail. So tell us about some of the companies that you're working with. Yeah. So uh, what I'm doing, for example, one, I love investments. I love the entrepreneurship. And I thought, you know what, let me work for Springtide and and, and different uh, large um, REITs or entities, not REITs, um, just uh, hedge funds and just help them. Like if they have a question on company X or Y, I have a doctor degree, I have AI degree, I also have, I'm not agreeing it, but I have knowledge and then I'm an entrepreneur. Why not look at it and say, you know what, this is going to make money. This is not, these are the holes. And so I thought, why not be a consultant? So there's several companies out there that <laughs> they'll send me their pitches and I just look at them and I tell them, yeah, invest, don't invest, or these are the things I would ask. So that's kind of fun. Other things I do, I work for a company called Vital Health, and it's so much fun. It's a telemedicine company. They want me to do a specific uh, project for them, and I'm working on it for them. And it's just so much fun to be on the forefront of medicine in the sense that they're doing telemedicine slash something else that's giving them going to give them a competitive advantage. And then just to be in that space and to help and to develop and being part of the board meetings, it's just so much fun. And so other things that I'm doing is... I'm an advisor for several companies. I'll mention two that are so much fun for me. One is kind of weird, and I know some people are like, oh, this is kind of weird. I don't know. You're, I can't believe you're doing this, Dr. Castro, but here it is. <laughs> it's a cannabis company that think of it as a diffuser. And so the doctor has a relationship, obviously, with their patient, but say the patient comes in with anxiety. Well, as the doctor, you can say your diffuser um, your app talks to their diffuser and you basically say you need more properties to help you sleep. So you dial up their dose and it talks to their diffuser. And then that patient will be able to take cannabis to help them with their anxiety. But let's just say they are having trouble sleeping. Well, then you turn up dial and then the same thing. So they're doing clinical trials in Germany. I'm an advisor for them. And I thought, this is so freaking cool because it's like an app. You got a diffuser. It's talking. To, it's got different uh, levels of different types of cannabis. And then depending, it's able to diffuse it to give you the right dose. And they add some clinical studies and everything. I'm like, oh, man, count me in. So I'm, I'm, I'm helping them with their market in South America. And I'm going to help them come to the United States. And that that's kind of cool to me. I'm like, this is fun. The other one that I'm really stoked is AI and ultrasound. So mm. what this company has done is their goal is to have a probe connected to AI and so that the average person in the world can just go to their local pharmacy and just do their own ultrasound. They don't need an ultrasound tech. They don't need a doctor. This AI will say go right, go left, go deeper, stop. It's taking pictures, upload it to the pharmacist. I'm sorry, to the radiologist and done. What I'm personally doing with them is I'm like, oh my gosh, guys, as a doctor, I see all the other uses that you're not seeing. So I'm consulting with them to tell them all the different verticals in their business that they hadn't thought of. And I'm restructuring their company so that they're able to do different business models within their company. And so that's something that I'm doing that I'm using as my MD 
using my creative mind. And it's kind of funny, like the things that I'm bringing to them is probably in my mind going to bring more money than the original business model that they had, which is kind of fun for me because I'm like, I'm getting to do something. I'm getting to make a difference. I'm getting to change medicine, help people. And that's what gets me excited. And then my biggest problem is I I have a hard time saying no to people because I enjoy projects. And so if it's something that I want to do, I'm like, let's do it. I'll find the time. I'm going to jump in. (laughs) The other one that has been happening is I'm getting all these calls from different organizations around the world to say, hey, we want you to come speak. So in the last week, I've agreed to go to to speak at a conference in China, Saudi Arabia, Germany, and then a couple places here in the United States. So it's kind of fun that I'm talking to different conferences and based on my experience. So, so I'm, I'm just enjoying life. I'm like, I'm blessed to be able to do stuff. Let's do it while I can. Yeah, it's almost like you need to clone yourself with uh, with the amount of work that you're doing. <laughs> well, when you love it, it doesn't look like work, you know. So that's true. So I'm curious with the with the ultrasound. So most of my clinical work is in rural emergency departments, and and there's a a consistent shortage of ultrasound techs. Is the vision that you wouldn't need a highly trained ultrasound tech anymore if you had kind of AI um, inspired ultrasound or ultrasound that kind of helps guide a less trained person to be able to to use it. Yeah, yeah, I hate to say it that way, but yeah, my 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 mother is an ultrasound tech and she still practices. So in theory, this is where it gets a little gray with the FDA. They are going to apply for FDA approval, and once they get that FDA approval then the answer is yes. Then my vision with them is like, why not train the residents? Why not train the nurses? Why not train your higher level, your NPs? And, uh, you know, just like we did in residency for ER, we learned how to do ultrasound. Why not do the same thing with our nurses um, and teach them? So your example is perfect. You know, rural areas that it's either this or nothing, or they have to wait a couple hours <laughs> to get an ultrasound tech. And when I owned emergency rooms, I had uh, some ERs that were outside of Dallas. And I remember one time I had to wait like an hour and a half to get a tech to get to that area to just do an ultrasound. And I told the doc, I mean, you're better off just doing it yourself <laughs> because it's going to be a while. So, yeah, I think this is a tool that would be amazing. Are you allowed to say what the company is? Oh, yeah. It's called Pons AI, P-O-N-S-A-I, and it's on my LinkedIn under my profile. It's a really interesting company. I'm talking with them. They're doing a lot of other stuff around the world, so I'm, I'm so stoked that I'm working with them. Very cool. I'm curious, so you, you have all this stuff going on. You're obviously a, a forward thinker in, in emergency medicine, ahead of the curve, and freestandings ahead of the curve in app development, and then you decide to get an MBA. What inspired that uh, that decision? Good question. So I felt like my colleagues and friends kept giving me a hard time saying, you do not need to go to school. And I, and I actually got my MBA at the end of all of the things we've talked about. I didn't do it at the front end. I actually got it at the very end. And the reason I did it personally is as much as I love being a doctor, a lot of times in things that I do, sometimes that MD – it's like a double-edged sword. It gets me through those doors, but then once I pass those doors, they're like, oh, you're just a doctor. You don't know what you're talking about. And I thought, man, I need something because no one's going to read my resume before they meet me. No one. But if I have those initials after my name, they're going to say, oh, crud, this guy's an MD and an MBA. 
And then when I walk through those doors and I tell them my experience, they're like, holy cow, now this guy really has the experience. But in my mind, I needed those initials. <laughs> and I know that sounds horrible, but I was like, I'm going to do it. And I'm glad I did. And in fact, I'm I'm glad it's one of those chicken or the egg. Do you get the MBA early? Or do you get it later? I'm kind of glad I got it late because when I was going through classes and different theories, I was like, huh, I didn't know why I did X, Y, and Z. I just thought it felt right. And I think I should do that. And that's the way I rolled. But that's actually was the scientific way to do things. Or there was theory behind it. And then it was just really fun, you know, the geeky side of me. I was like, oh, man, I got the science now and I get it. And like, whoa, I can actually do this or that. So big picture, obviously, I, I talked to other doctors like, oh, it's all about the networking and meeting other people. And that, that was another thing. It was amazing to meet all these leaders around the world, um, you know, because we would not just get the United States. We'd get people from literally, you know, Saudi Arabia, other countries. I'm like, man, this is cool. So, yeah. Yeah. It turns out we actually went to the same business school, the, the PEMBA program at the University of Tennessee. And uh, I loved it as well. So uh, definitely recommend doing that for those who are entrepreneurially inclined. And speaking of I'm actually going to do an entrepreneur talk with them in October or September. I got to look at the dates. So I'm going to do like a weekend talk with them. So that's going to be fun. Awesome. And yeah, we'll put that in the show notes when, when you get the, the info. Yeah, for sure. Thank you. I'd like to pivot to what you've done with with that MBA, which is really double down on on AI. And we're going to structure this part of the conversation based on an article that was recently posted in ASEP Now by Drs. Ashenberg, Rose, and Dayton. Uh, and quick shout out to John Dayton. He's, he's really one of the leaders in entrepreneurship and emergency medicine. So I'm friends with him. I know him well. Yeah, it Good seems guy. like he's friends with everybody. Of course, John's, of course, John's you got to be if you're an entrepreneur. <laughs> that's right. That's right. That's yeah, a key key skill is to connect with with other smart people so that you can uh, learn from everybody around you. Awesome. So, so let's use kind of their uh, their structure to go through how AI can be useful to an emergency physician. So the the first and and kind of the the base layer that I think is is potentially the most impactful in the short run is on documentation. Can you talk a little bit about how um, artificial intelligence might impact documentation? Yeah. So, you know, just my mind just like exploded with all of the ideas that I had. But but one of the first things that comes to mind is, you know, as an ear doctor, especially if you're not blessed to be able to type quickly, you know, I had some doctors that would use the two fingers and it would take them forever. And then I felt bad for some of my older docs because they would be there like a couple hours after just documenting. Um, having now being able to use AI and let's really use AI. Um, there's so many products that literally you can just uh, have a conversation with the doc, with your patient and it's recording everything. It's transcribing everything. And it's doing a really good job transcribing. And now you don't have to, I, I call it the census, you know, when we look away from our patients, we're losing that part of the conversation. Because what if their eye twitches? What if they look away? What if you can hear the pause, but you don't see their mannerisms? And if you can now focus on their mannerisms, you may be able to get a better exam. You're going to catch things that you're like, you know what? He just lied to me or she just lied to me. And then, so that's one thing that AI can do. As far as the actual function, oh my gosh, this is so cool because assuming, let's just not worry about HIPAA for now. Let's just say that this tool is HIPAA compliant, so you don't have to worry. 
But what if it took everything and just created summaries? And so if I'm seeing a, a patient of yours and you're transferring them to me, yeah, we talk on the phone to each other, great. But how nice if I could just plug in all your stuff and just say, hey, give me the highlights of this last visit. And then I can just look at that. So that kind of power, I know a lot of EMRs have that, but not like ChatGPT can summarize. The other part that I, on the documentation, I worked at an airport, <laughs> real close to an airport, and I would get people from all over the world. I was blessed that I speak Spanish, but I don't speak other languages. And so I got away with murder when I had to discharge people in, in the Spanish world because I could just translate, done. But how nice to have an LLM, let's call it any LLM that allows me to translate, and then just give them a discharge instruction for their language. But then the part that makes me really excited, and let's just use ChatGPT for an example, is the way I discharge a 50-year-old male. It's not the same with a diabetes. It's not the same how I discharge a five-year-old with diabetes. And if I could take and customize my discharge for the patient's age, culture, the way I communicate and talk to them in their language, in their native language or in their culture language or in their age language. So the way you talk mm. to a five-year-old is not the same the way you talk to a 30-year-old. So let me give you a right. real example. This is probably my favorite example. I'm going to have to find a new one because people listen to me a couple of times. And like, oh, he used that example already. So, <laughs> But basically, uh, this one hospital in England did the following. They had a child that had asthma first time. They got discharged. Long story short, they took the regular discharge instructions, put them into ChatGPT and said, change the language to how you would speak to a five-year-old. But then it gets better. They took uh, something like Dolly where you type and it makes pictures and they converted it into a coloring book. And they put the two together and gave the child a coloring book. And that was their discharge instruction. I'm like, that's the way to take care of patients now. That's incredible. And I'm, I'm curious um, about the timeline here because we, when I talk to some of my friends about um, AI improving documentation, I get skepticism. It's like, oh, you know, we've, we've been told that that documentation is going to improve for you know, the last five, 10 years. And, and really we've seen a little bit of improvement with, with dragon, but really I'm still spending huge amounts of time doing documentation. How quickly is this stuff actually coming? I think it's coming sooner than later. Um, and I'm not copying out. I'm basically look up Epic Microsoft and the owners of ChatGPT or open AI, uh, I want to say it was either March or April, they came out saying that they're working on a product to add to their EMR. And I have a feeling that when that happens, that's going to change the way we do medicine. Because once that happens, other companies are going to be see, see how it's done. So like, oh, this is how they got around HIPAA, or this is how they address HIPAA, or this is how this product works. And I mark my words, once they come out with their product, everybody else is watching and there's going to be all other ones. Another thing that I want everybody to understand is that Amazon already has a product that lets you be used in healthcare that transcribes our conversation. Obviously, OpenAI has this thing called Whisper, and they transcribe. Um, YouTube is through Google, already has products that will transcribe, and all their YouTube videos are usually transcribed by 12 hours after the event, so it's already there. So it's happening. And so I have a feeling that the fact that it's happening already all around us, it's only a matter of time. And when, it, when I say a matter of time, it's already there, actually. It's just a matter of if your hospital system wants, wants to spend the money. I spoke to a, one of my friends, and she was telling me that she's evaluating 
getting rid of all her scribes at her office and just going with this one product so that she can get the transcription part so she doesn't have to document or have to have a scribe. And so different conferences that I've gone personally this year, I'm starting to see Amazon everywhere pushing their tr uh, transcription product on healthcare. So I think it's just a matter of time before it hits your hospital. Let's take a break to tell you about our sponsor, Ivy Clinicians. Full disclosure here, I'm Ivy's founder. Both as a practicing physician and ED medical director, navigating the job market felt like going back to the days of classifieds and smoke-filled rooms. Who staffs which ED? I don't know. Who should I contact there? I don't know. What's it like to work there? You get the point. So our team at Ivy created the Zillow of the emergency medicine job market. With Ivy, you can find all 5,549 EDs in the United States, filter them by your preferences, and connect with the right employers, all for free. Your data is secure with Ivy. You pick which employers can see your profile. Sign up now at ivyclinicians.io. When Ivy connects you with your next emergency medicine job, we will even send you a bottle of champagne and a bag of 321 coffee beans to celebrate. That's ivyclinicians.io. All right, back to the show. Yeah, it almost seems like there's a gold rush in this in this market where there's eight or nine companies trying to be the AI scribe, so Augmetics, Nuance, Abridge, Ambiance, Suki, DeepScribe, Tali AI, Thread Medical. Do you have do you have a sense of of who's gonna win this race? You mentioned Amazon. Who who else do you think we should keep an eye on? See, I'm I'm I think the ER doctor in me keeps coming out on this statement. My conspiracy theory in me thinks Microsoft's the winner, and here's why. Mm. They have a HIPAA-compliant server uh, in their company. They, To me, they pretty much own ChatGPT or OpenAI, so check that box. And then they're pushing out APIs as we speak to different vendors. And so if you look at it carefully, and then you, you got Whisper that's doing the transcription, you got the HIPAA-compliant, and then you have the brain. So you don't really need much more, so you're pretty much there. And then they have this thing called BioGPT, which is another large language model, and they're working on other ones for healthcare. So then I'm thinking, hmm, put it all together. They got all the pieces. So if they put it all together, they can go to a hospital system and be like, okay, we got your HIPAA compliance. <laughs> we got your large language model that in healthcare. We have the power of Epic now because they're going into Epic. It's going to be a really hard competition. And then the conspiracy in me says they're putting ChatGPT into Windows. So let's just call it Windows 12. It's going to have ChatGPT all over your computer. You put it all together, I just see it's going to be hard to compete for other companies. Yeah, that makes sense. And they, they did buy Nuance, which yes. is Dragon. And so they, they have a head start there and that they're in most ERs already. And it actually is, it seems like less of a lift than, than you'd think because the transcription is already there. So we've been using that for, for years. The only two steps that, that you need from there to get a decent part of the documentation, the non 
medical decision-making parts of the documentation are being able to figure out who's, who's the one doing the talking and then turn that, that dictation, the word for word dictation into categories that then become kind of medical speak and turn into what is history? What is review of systems? What is physical exam? And you've got the objective part of, of a note. It seems like, you know, you don't need sci-fi to get from here to there. Funny you say that. I, I'm going blank on the name of these two companies, but I've seen two, which is kind of crazy. One of them had two AIs going, and it knew who the doctor was and who wasn't. And it basically transcribed and was able to put it, it. It integrated with any EMR, which was smart of them. But the part that was a little FDA issue for me is it influenced the doctor. And once it influenced the doctors in the decision-making, it becomes an FDA approval process. And so one of the things this program did is it would tell you the doctor, like, hey, you need to order more X, Y, and Z. You need to order the following tests and labs and x-rays. And then here are the possible differential diagnosis. And so unless the FDA, the way it's presented or the algorithms and all this logistic BS stuff, it's not going to fly. It's going to fall into FDA regulation. And then at that point, that costs another layer. The other one that I saw that I was like super excited, I'm like, wow, it's basically a virtual resident. It does everything. It intakes, it sees, it copies. So by the time the doctor sees it, it does everything your scribe would have done, your nurse would have done, um, and it summarizes. And then it's got this algorithm that's able to take it down to the to the notch. So if the person says fever, it's going to make sure it does everything around fever, and it, it already knows what to ask. And it does it by verbal or text. And I'm like, wow, that that's gonna that's gonna change. So I think that's gonna be put everywhere. OpenAI is coming out with a robot that will have tactile function. And once that comes out, that's gonna be a big deal because I don't see it happening in the States, but once we're outside of the United States, I see certain countries saying, you know what, we're gonna put this out there because it'll have the feedback so it could feel someone's belly and say oh yeah appendicitis gallbladder i know some of the doctors are like yeah that's never going to happen it'll be interesting I, again i don't think a lot of this stuff will happen in the u.s because of our lobbies and ama and blah 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 but i have a feeling we're going to start seeing things that you're like wow this is actually being done and don't be surprised if it's happening out in west africa or somewhere you would have never guessed because again it's the risk versus benefits and those leaders are going to allow things that we're not going to allow in the United States. But I think that ultimately will create pressure to allow some of these things to happen here. Got it. So let's, let's dive into those kind of next stages of, of what the AI can, uh, can bring with category two, which is de- uh, clinical decision support. So you mentioned that, that AIs can help um, physicians with things like differentials What's what's the current state of clinical decision support uh, using AI? Obviously, one of the biggest problems is that it's not up to date. And I know that article talks about, you know, it's only good until September 2021. And that, you know, if something happens since, it may not follow. My answer back is, it's at the end of the day, it's an aid. Just like we look at textbooks, or sometimes you go in the ER department, you find a textbook, and you look at it, you're like, oh, this is like the third edition of 10 and only, but you know, it really hasn't changed much, but I'm going to use it. <laughs> you don't argue about it because it's what you have. My same argument is 
I think doctors are smart enough to say, yeah, this is right, this is wrong. And for what we need, for example, in emergency medicine, it may be like, okay, what's the latest cocktail in COVID? You know, that stuff can be added to the LLMs. Um, how I see this happening, and again, I love that I'm talking to ER docs, is imagine a moment, it's two in the morning, you're exhausted, you know your differential, you know you see chest pain left and right, but what if it's that 1% time that someone comes in with this weird symptom, why not have a peripheral rain, uh, brain? Obviously, you're not putting any HIPAA compliance stuff into the LLM, but why not uh, put in you know, all the symptoms of the patient and x-ray findings? And obviously, again, you're not putting names, social security, any of that, but then put it into that large language model and say, give me a differential diagnosis. And then you go through and you're like, holy cow, it's saying uh, diagnose why? Huh. I hadn't even thought of that, but you know what? I'm going to add this extra test because I hadn't even thought of this one. That is how I see it being used today. Now, I mentioned earlier two things. Obviously, the hallucination effects, everybody knows about that, but the skinny is, it may say something, it sounds right, but it's totally wrong. As ER doctors, I feel like it's tough to fool us because if we're going to use something, we're like, man, that sounds totally off. I'm going to verify that. Um, I, I don't see that us getting fooled. Now, if we start venturing outside of ER, and if it's like a patient that's like, hey, should I have surgery for XYZ? You're like, I don't know. And then they use ChatGPT. They really shouldn't. But then they look at it and say, okay, I'm going to just say whatever ChatGPT says. Then I think, yeah, then you're going to fall into trouble because you're going outside your space. Um, where do I see the future? I see this company. I'm not promoting them. I don't have stock in them. But I think there'll be a couple of companies like this. It's called Glass Health AI. And what they're doing is, think of it this way. One of the strengths of ChatGPT is that it's using human reinforced learning. And the skinny is, it's a human being saying, yep, correct, not correct. So thumbs up, thumbs down. What this company is doing is they have their own large language model. They won't tell us what they're using, but my guess is they're probably using ChatGPT as their background. But then they're adding another layer, and they're having doctors go in and tell it, X, Y, and Z. So now that reinforce, reinforcement is coming from doctors. It's not coming from a non-doctor. And now the model is getting better. And they're going one uh, silo by silo. So they're going to lungs, they're going to cardiac, and then they're adding their differential diagnosis. And then if, let's say, ER, you did it, then you're like, okay, I'm going to add this to the model. And then let's say I see the same model, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to add that. Then it's two of us adding the same thing. The model may say, okay, this is, seems to be important. I think I need to add this to the differential diagnosis. And I think that is going to be the feature in healthcare for us using it, especially in ER. Got it. Seems like the next generation of Wiki EM. Yeah. Not, personally, I'm working on some project that I want to do by the fall with Wiki EM that you're going to be shocked. So that's one of my other projects that I want to do. So I'm, I want to work with them. Very cool. So the next category is patient communication. What can uh, large language models and, um, and AI help with today on patient communication? Yeah. You know, as again, love that we're talking to ER docs. You know how hard it is. We all have kids pretty much. And you know how hard it is to talk to a little one. Well, we all know that sometimes we say things and patients answer is like, got you, doc. And you're like, you sure? And they're like, oh, yeah, I got it. But in reality, they don't got it. They don't understand. And so my idea is why not use AI to help us be more sensitive to their culture, to the, the way we speak. And, and no disrespect to our colleagues, but some doctors have a really hard time communicating, you know, and sometimes we don't have the time to communicate. 
And so why not use AI to help us come up with the right words, the right finesse, even down to our body language? You know, I know a lot of hospitals get on doctors for discharging people standing up at the doorway. Why not sit down and deliver news a certain way? Why not ask AI to help me be more empathetic? Why not use AI to help us learn empathy and train? You know, I was actually working with someone to create like a module to help empathy um, being taught to medical students and residents. And But why not throw doctors in the mix that may need it? Again, no disrespect to our colleagues, but some of my surgeon friends could kind of help, could need some help in that department. <laughs> cool. So, yeah, one of the one of the things that that you mentioned was in making our communication more clear to patients, and I think that um, open notes. So currently, patients can see our notes. Has had a problem of our way of communicating with each other and with the note is not how we would want to communicate to the patient, right? So when, when I see a patient with peripheral vertigo, like in my, in my head, I've like ruled out, you know, stroke and mass and all this stuff. But in a note, it looks like, oh, I think there might be a mass. I think there might be a stroke. And so to a patient, a differential looks really, really scary. Whereas to us, it is, oh, things that I did not, you know, in in my head, I have ruled all those things out either by testing or through through a history and physical exam. There are companies right now, like a bridge is the one that that is doing this kind of uh, most most aggressively at at the University of um, Pittsburgh Medical Center, UPMC. They are translating notes into patient ease through AI. And it just makes so much sense that if you want a patient to understand what happened in their visit, the doctorese isn't the way you would communicate that on paper. You would want to translate that into patient ease, but still have the native thing that some patients want to want to see, but really make our communication accessible to patients. Yeah, I didn't know that was going on, but that totally makes sense. Love that example. Good job. I'm going to have to start using it. I know when you mentioned that, that brought up to mind, um, I know NYU, I think it's NYU, is using their own large language model in that they're using clinical notes and their EMR, and they figured out a way to secure the server so that they're training their own model. And I thought, that's amazing. And I, I mentioned that because I feel like a lot of hospital systems, especially the bigger ones, are going to look at it and say, it's cheaper for us to make our own model. And you got to keep in mind, these models don't have to do all the things that ChatGPT. It only has to do the things that we're talking about. And some of these things are just summaries or very, you know, translation. It's not like other things. So I feel like it, it actually makes sense to do that or go down that route. Another is because of the HIPAA compliance issue, being able to secure everything under one umbrella saying, hey, everything's under our hospital system. It doesn't leave to open AI. It doesn't even go out. It's in our servers. That's a way to keep things secure. I believe it. Yeah, it's smart. So the next category is medical education. Um, lots of potential here for augmented um, intelligence. What What's your sense of how AI can be used today and, and in the near future uh, for medical education? Well, we kind of touched on empathy, so that'd be one way. Um, the other, you know, again, 
Um, let's just, aside from the argument that, hey, this stuff is outdated, let's just say we're using a plugin. ChatGPT allows you to use plugins, which there's one that allows you to do use the latest research, others that allow you to use uh, YouTube or use, um, let's just say, PubMed, the internet. And so that issue is taken aside. Why not use it, like the article mentioned, use it for note cards, use it for um, different angles. You know, for me, somebody's maybe visual, someone's auditory. So why not put these notes and then have your computer talk to you? And then every morning or every drive, it's just reading your notes. I know there's a lot of talk about uh, educating, and believe it or not, every 30 days, our medical knowledge doubles. <laughs> so there's a lot of information we got to learn. So imagine that. So why not use, you know, I've I've heard, I haven't verified this, but I've heard that UpToDate is using large language models to use uh, into UpToDate so that they can keep up with the information. So I thought, man, that that is going to be the next way. So that the way I see it is why not create a large language model, let's say, for ER, and so that every week I'm getting an update that says, okay, here are the articles. And I know people will be like, oh, that's what I have ASAP membership. Well, no, you want something that not only gives you the ASAP articles, but gives you everything. And then the, not to get too geeky, but there's something called AutoGPT. And so why not create an AutoGPT that's constantly going into the Internet and going out to these resources and then filtering it all and then giving it to your inbox. And so every week, as long as you're reading those emails, you're reading maybe just the quick abstracts of everything. And if you really want to dive into it, then you can. And most doctors, that's what they do anyway. So I think education will be big with using AI. Yeah, it's um, and you've mentioned a few times that th- the physician is not being kind of replaced by by this um, AI. It's it's really the next step in helping us be better at at being a physician. Um, and the time that that you need those kind of crutches along the way more than more than ever as a medical student or a resident. Yeah, I, I I see it like a stethoscope. You know, when I I'm gonna date myself. When um, when I had first started using my iPhone, patients would be like, "Why are you texting?" I'm like, "I'm not. I'm actually looking up this on my MedPalm or whatever Palm Pilot or, <laughs> or database." But I think it's just not accepted today. But with time, I see a future where patients are gonna come up with their laptop, and you're gonna have a sit down conversation with your doctor and be like, "Hey." I'm having ChatGPT translate you right here because we speak the same language, but I don't speak medical language. And then I don't know what to ask you, doctor, so I'm going to let ChatGPT come up with questions that I should ask you. And so before I even come see you, it's going to formulate. So I see it as just another type of uh, way that kind of like that bridge program you just mentioned. It'll be the same thing, but it'll be in real time. And I think we need to be aware that these changes are coming. I know some doctors are like, that's never going to happen, or, oh, hell no, I'll be retired before that happens. But but the truth is, that's what's going to happen. Just like in the days when people come up with their Dr. Google, uh, Google documents and say, oh, doctor, I think I have cancer, it's going to be the same thing. <laughs> as much as you can tell your patients, don't use ChatGPT, they're going to use it. So you need to be ready. I believe it. So one of the places where where they are definitely ready for this is on the administrative side. So you mentioned that, that you uh, were in the, the billing, you started a, a billing and documentation company back in the day. Can you tell us a little bit more about how AI can make administrative tasks in medicine uh, more seamless? Well, um, you already mentioned the documentation. In general, think of it this way. Anything that's repetitive that you hate, 
I think that's what AI is going to end up addressing because that's what administrators, that's what doctors are going to push. And so that seamless record is coming because of what we talked about. I think on the billing side, the same thing. Um, these LLMs are getting smart enough where they're able to, and it's already kind of done now, but just based on your diagnosis, it already knows what code to use. And so uh, the whole name of the game is to get that bill to the insurance company ASAP and so, in theory, that's why they get on us to finish our notes. As soon as we finish that document, if that document can be submitted to the insurance, you know, let's just pretend it's within hours or minutes of you seeing the patient, then that means that reimbursement comes quicker for the hospital. And so those are the things that administration is going to start focusing on. I don't want to sound rude, like they don't care about the physicians, but they are ultimately going to focus on things that are going to bring revenue and make them more efficient. And if it's something that they don't see return on investment, they may not put their dollars. And so I feel like in an administration side, if they can prove that, for example, they can get rid of all the scribes at your hospital and just use AI to scribe, they will. If they can prove that that bill will go out quicker and more efficient and without errors. And let's just say AI is checking the electronic medical record and saying, yeah, you still need to put two more review of systems and you still need X, Y, and Z, which a lot of EMRs already do that. But then LLM to help you get there faster, it, they're going to put those dollars. So I see a future with large language model in general as being one of two ways. One of them will be things that you and I want, but it may not bring money to the hospital. And then there's going to be other things that will bring money to the hospital. And unfortunately, that may be the thing. The other thing to play devil's advocate, since we're all ER docs, um, I'm going to say this. We all get jealous with our colleagues that have certain toys or certain things. And one of my colleagues told me that they had this uh, stroke alert uh, algorithm. That, I forget the name of the company, but it's really cool that basically a patient comes in with stroke-like symptoms, you do your CTA, and the L, uh, the large language model, the AI, looks at the CAT scan before the human being can even get to it. It sends an ER doc a text saying, hey, this person possibly has a stroke. And then it puts it on the top uh, level for your uh, radiologist to read. My devil's advocate is this. I've foreseen the next year where some attorney is going to realize, hey, hospital A across the street has it. This hospital where my patient got a stroke didn't. I'm going to claim the standard of care is actually having that. And because they didn't have this algorithm, this AI, we can sue them because technically this is the standard of care. Those are the kind of cases that we're going to start seeing here in the next year. Yeah, things are going to change fast. So speaking of that, what's your recommendation for um, how emergency physicians should learn more about, about AI? Obviously, I'm biased. I'm going to say you need to follow me <laughs> and check out my website. I literally just write all I can about AI and healthcare. Um, recently, I had the president of the AMA uh, talk about AI and healthcare. Uh, in a couple of weeks, I'm going to have uh, someone from Google talk about the Google AI products, and we're going to sit down and talk about how that applies in healthcare. And then next month, um, I'm coordinating with the president of HIMSS for the whole world to have a sit-down conversation on AI and healthcare. And so... I try my best to do two things. Number one is look at it with the doctor's eyes, but then push the envelope and how it can happen. Because I know these tools exist. It's just that we need doctors, and I'm encouraging everybody listening to become that leader in their hospital, become in their region, or heck, in the United States or world to learn AI and be that leader because we need us doctors leading this technology. 
I don't want to hear that it's Microsoft running this hospital system or coming up with this. I want to hear that it's Dr. X or Dr. Y or this other ER doctor that is helping uh, move this um, LLMs towards healthcare. I, I think that's my goal. And honestly, that's why I wrote the book back in December. I want to see more leaders and I want them to be physicians, ideally. That's great. That's uh, it's very inspiring, which, which leads to the next question, which is, in, in conclusion, what, what makes you optimistic about the future of emergency medicine? You know, one thing we talked about earlier was losing your job. I don't see doctors in emergency medicine losing their jobs because of our hands. You know, there's a lot of manual things that we have to do. I, I don't see a robot right now starting an IV, uh, starting intubating a patient. It's not going to happen. The other thing, obviously, is empathy. It's going to be hard for a robot to be able to connect with a patient and get a good history because of the empathy and all the other stuff. And so I would tell other ER doctors, learn AI because you have that as a safe zone. Be the leaders in AI because you have the schedule that we do. We can get away with working weekends and then doing a side gig during the week or as part of the week. So my advice to ER doctors is, if you can, follow me on LinkedIn. I highly encourage you to take a look at some of the books I've written. And then just stay active. Listen to the podcast. Read uh, about the subject. The more and more you learn, the better you're going to be. And more importantly, once you understand the good, the bad, and the ugly of this large language models, you'll be able to make a difference for your patients and for your hospital system. Very cool. And what book or movie would you recommend to our to our audience? It doesn't have to be about AI. Yeah. You know, and and it has to so I, I know your book is awesome or your books are awesome. It has to be not written by Dr. Harvey Castro for this question. Yeah, that's right. Um I'm 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 kind of like a a nerd in the sense that I love real movies or based on a real story. And I recently watched two movies. One was Air, it was basically Michael Jordan. And I thought it was so cool and kind of inspiring about how that all came about and technically made the guy billions, but it was actually his mom. And so you definitely should watch the story. It was really cool. The other one was recent too. It was George Foreman. And um, it was just inspiring to hear about George Foreman. I didn't realize all the stuff. And I, I just love inspiring movies. I love, you know, we see enough ugly stuff in the ER and trauma that when I can, I like to be inspired by something amazing. Well, Dr. Castro, you're, you're certainly an inspiration to to the rest of us. Um, it's It's not easy to realize that things are moving in a certain direction and get ahead of the wave. You've definitely gotten ahead of the, the AI wave and, and you're leading um, us in emergency medicine in the right direction. So thanks for all that you do. I appreciate everybody. And uh, anything I can do, I honestly, I enjoy helping. So just reach out to me and whatever I can do. And Dr. Kestra's on, on LinkedIn, as he mentioned, he has a, a bunch of really good uh, YouTube videos and a YouTube channel um, so really anywhere online, you can, you can find Harvey Castro. Um, and actually before we, before we go, tell us about having your voice cloned. You're, yeah. I'm looking at you now. I know you're, I know you're actually here, <laughs> but, but tell us about your, your, this voice cloning thing. Okay. I got two things to tell you. So remind me to tell you about the crime AI. Um, so I'm going to go with the clone first. So obviously I feel like if I'm going to do something and I'm going to be talking about AI, I need to do AI. 
And so one of the things I do is I use AI to help me with my PowerPoints, with all my pictures. And I have a, it's called To Me. I don't have any shares in the company just to share. But basically, I'll give you a real example. Yesterday, somebody called me and they're like, hey, um, I know I asked you to be on this talk. You're a panelist, but I'm going to ask you to do a presentation. And I'm like, dude, that's in like 20 minutes. Like, <laughs> So I got on To Me and I said, okay, the presentation is on this. I need eight slides and this is the way I want it. And it made it for me within 20 seconds and pictures and everything. And then I edited it, went fixed it, and then I put it and everybody loved to talk. The clone part of it is kind of fun. Same idea. I thought, why not clone my voice? There's so much information. Why not create a podcast? And then I feed the podcast or like the topic into the this program that I have. And I it's a program that I created with my business partner. And then we put it in. And then it uh, uses ChatGPT to make a fake conversation. And then it clones my business partner's voice and mine. And then when it goes on Spotify. And so it's an all, it's, I don't know how many podcasts we have. We've been doing it since March and it's been pretty cool. So I don't know. Have you had a chance to listen to it or not yet? No, no, that's, uh, I've only listened to your, your real stuff with like your interview with the president of the AMA. Yeah. I I hope that was really you. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) And then the last one I, I remembered, um, so the geeky side of me, I thought, okay, guys, everybody has a side gig. You know, we all do ER, but why not do something different? My wife loves crime, so I I basically um, wrote a. I started writing stuff on Kevin MD, and one of them was about how to use AI to solve crime. And what we did is I looked at all the serial killers, and then I wrote a book on if AI existed, how could these serial killers be caught and why? And then I wrote a whole book around it. Well, Fox News got a hold of it. And they actually called me and then we did a couple articles on cold cases and AI. And then about, a, I want to say two weeks ago, I was on a Fox News crime podcast about cold cases and how to use AI in cold cases. So it's kind of cool. It's AI's most wanted. <laughs> exactly. I love it. So anyway, it's kind of cool stuff. Well, Dr. Castro, thanks thanks for joining the Emergency Medicine Workforce podcast. And uh, you've really left us with a lot to think about. Thank you. It's an honor to be here, man. Thank you. Thanks for listening to the Emergency Medicine Workforce podcast. If you have feedback for us or just have some thoughts on this episode, Hit us up on social media at EM Workforce. And don't forget to subscribe now to this podcast on your favorite podcast app or at emergencymedicineworkforce.com. This podcast is edited and produced by EarFluence. I'm Leon Edelman, and if you're in the emergency medicine trenches, I appreciate all the work that you do. We'll see you again soon with the next episode.